G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. We're a church that's all about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is entitled The Passover Escape from Death and it focuses on Exodus chapter 12 verses 1 to 14. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The first reading is from Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 14. (coughs) The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be, be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share it with their nearest neighbour, having taken into account the number of people (coughs) there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the wall frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cook it in water, but roast it over the firehead, legs and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Well, loving Lord, as we open up your word together, we pray that you would illuminate our hearts and prepare our lives to apply your word to them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. And as you do, you might want to take out a Bible um, and find page 76, because that's where we're going to be focusing in our Exodus, the Gospel Before the Gospel series. And we've really reached the the high point, the pinnacle, um, the apex, whatever word that you want to choose for this passage, because this is the crunch point, the final blow of Exodus. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been on a collision course, a battle of wills between two powers, the mighty Egyptian empire and the Lord Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. 
In week one, the Lord was in the background as Pharaoh terrorized and enslaved the Hebrews by killing all their baby boys. And yet somehow one baby survived. Moses is drawn from the water from death to life. In week two, the Lord comes into the foreground as Moses, this baby grows into a a boy and then into a man. uh, And then his thirst for justice causes him to murder another man. And so he runs away. And there, at the age of 80, he meets the Lord in a burning bush. And the Lord tells him to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Last week, we looked at how Moses and his brother Aaron came before Pharaoh and asked on the Lord's behalf again and again, let my people go. But Pharaoh again and again says, no. The Lord sends sign after sign, plague after plague, knocking down Pharaoh's gods and showing the power that he has over all creation. And so uh, we're not going to have time to go through every single plague in this series, um, but I'm going to take you through a bit of a whirlwind. Uh, The first one was the plague of blood that turned the River Nile into blood. Last week we looked at the plague of frogs um, and how they were everywhere, all over people's beds and heads and in their bread. Then came the plague of gnats and then the plague of flies, all of a sudden, the, the, the judgment that came from the depths of the Nile is starting to spring into the air. Then comes the plague on the livestock. And the livestock of the Egyptians, but not of the Hebrew people, die. Then comes boils. Painful boils come upon all the Egyptians. Then comes hail, the size of rocks. And again, hail only falls on the Egyptian fields, not on the Hebrew fields. It spoils the crop, but Egypt continue to try to defy God. And so another plague comes, a plague of locusts, and it eats up all the crops that survived the hailstorm. And finally today, we've come to the last plague, the tenth plague. The final round in this 10 round bout between Pharaoh and the Lord Almighty. Pharaoh has repeatedly seemed to buckle and then reneged on his promise to let the people go. The Lord in turn has escalated the plagues he has sent. Something must give and today we're going to see the Lord land the knockout blow. Finally, Pharaoh will let the people go. So today, as we unpack Exodus 12, 1 to 14, we're going to spend time understanding the Passover, celebrating the Passover, and thinking about what it means to live as Passover people. We are Passover people. Our reading today begins in Exodus 12, Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, 
This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Something momentous is about to happen. God is establishing a whole new calendar. Still in Israel today, today is the 17th of the month of Elul in the year 5783. Are you feeling old? <laughs> <laughs> 5,783, because they date their calendar to the Passover, to the Exodus. So important to these people is what the Lord did 5,783 years ago, that they still mark it in their calendars today. And what is this momentous occasion? Well, I love it. It's really Aussie. It's a barbecue. <laughs> It's a barbecue. After 11 chapters jam-packed with dramatic rescues, burning bushes, plagues, and action worthy of a Hollywood blockbuster, Exodus 12 gives us instructions for a holy barbecue. All the action pauses, and God gives us this detailed recipe for a good holy barbecue. And I love it because everyone is invited. Everyone. Verse 3, the Lord says, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people who are there. You can just imagine the feverish deliberations. Oh, Uncle Tommy's coming. He eats a lot. <laughs> We've got 20 people. How are we going to get enough lambs? How much will they eat? Egypt has just gone through nine plagues. And here are the people of God planning dinner parties. It's incredible stuff, but it's also serious business. A perfect year-old lamb must be chosen and cared for for 14 days. Then together the Israelites must sacrifice their lambs at twilight together on Friday. The whole lamb, guts and all, must be roasted over the fire and served with bitter herbs and unleavened bread. There's no time to let the dough rise. No time to keep the leftovers. Everything must be eaten or burnt. And the Hebrews need to eat their meal quickly, ready to leave at any moment. This is fast food. This is fast food. These are meticulous and strange instructions for a family barbecue. But their importance is rammed home in verse 7. They are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Yuck. Yuck. Why would you want blood all over your door frame? Here we see that this isn't just a holy barbecue. It's a sacrifice. And it isn't just a private act of community, it's a public act of defiance. 
The perfect Passover lamb is being sacrificed for the people. It's its life for theirs. In turn, the people are publicly declaring their trust in the Lord. So far, the Hebrews haven't have seen their Lord enact nine plagues on their behalf, and they haven't had to do anything. But now they must make a choice. The Lord or Egypt? Blood on the door frames is a public sign of your allegiance to God and a public up yours to Pharaoh. If God doesn't save them tonight, Pharaoh will know where to find his enemies in the morning. The stakes couldn't be higher. So that's what people are to do on the first night of their new calendar. What is God going to do? What's his side of the deal? Well, verse 12 tells us, On that same night, I, the Lord, will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. This is the knockout blow. The Lord has patiently asked Pharaoh again and again to stop exploiting his people and let them go. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, but the time for judgment has come. And notice that the judgment falls on everyone. Check out verse 13. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. It isn't as if God didn't know where the Hebrews lived. He'd protected them from several plagues before without blood on the door frames. It isn't as if the Egyptians are bad and the Hebrews are good. Death comes to every door that night. For those who have rejected God, the lives of the firstborn will be taken. While for those who trust the Lord and look to him for protection, the life of a lamb has been taken. The Bible is clear from beginning to end that the wages of sin is death. The Hebrews are sinners, just like the Egyptians. The difference is the blood of the lamb. Exodus 12.30 says, Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. We've been going through these images and they're, they're selfies through Exodus. And when I saw this one, I really didn't want to show it. But I do think it drives home the horror of what's going on here. The morning after the Passover, a life has been taken in every single house. The question is, is it a lamb or is it a child? Friends, this should shock us to the core. 
we need to remember that all people, even the Egyptians, had the option of trusting the Lord and painting blood over their door frames. And I think there's evidence in the scriptures to say that some did. We also need to see that Pharaoh knew that God would follow through with his Passover promise. Yet in his hard-heartedness, he still chose to sacrifice his firstborn son in a desperate attempt to hold on to his slaves and his power. Passover is about sacrifice. And it's also about service. Something that shocks me about Exodus is that it's not a story about escape from slavery into individualistic freedom. The word freedom doesn't actually appear in the book of Exodus at all. Instead, the word evid in Hebrew appears time and time again. And at this, the core, this word evid is about work. But it's used in Exodus to describe slavery, worship, and service. A sacrifice has been made to free the people from indentured service to Pharaoh to go and serve the Lord Almighty in the promised land. The people of Israel aren't set free to do whatever they want. God doesn't just set the people free and say, well, you're on your own now, serve yourself. Instead, a sacrifice is made, the people are liberated, and God says, come serve with me. Come find your true purpose in life. Come realize that fullness in life is found in a life laid down serving others. Passover is a sacrifice that saves the people and opens a door for a life of fruitful service. But a nagging question remains. Why the lamb? Why an innocent lamb? And how can an innocent lamb be a fair exchange for the life of a firstborn child? Well, the lamb was always meant to be a symbol, pointing forward to the true lamb of God, the one perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Many years after Passover, John the Baptist saw Jesus walking by the river Jordan and said, Look, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb was always only a pointer to a fuller reality. The Gospel before the Gospel. Fourteen hundred years after the first Passover supper, Jesus' mates come to him and ask him where he wants them to prepare the Passover meal. Jesus says, go into the city to a certain man and tell him. The teacher says... My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. Somehow the disciples go into Jerusalem and meet a guy there who just so happens to have made his house available to Jesus 
for this special Passover meal, this memorial meal. But that night, Jesus flips the script. For 1,400 years, faithful Jews met to remember the Passover. They would eat bitter herbs, unleavened bread, and a paschal lamb. The head of the house would use a time-honored script to tell the story of that night when God brought his people out of bondage. But Jesus doesn't tell the story. Instead, he gathers his mates and tells them that someone is going to betray him. Not a great way to make friends, hey? Then, as they're eating, Jesus takes some unleavened bread. The disciples notice this as the time when he says the words about the Exodus and tells the story about the Passover, and everyone remembers it together. But new words come instead. We know them well because we say them in our Eucharist prayers every single Sunday. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered to to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We know this text because it's quoted every time we share communion. This is our Passover meal, friends. This is where we remember God's big rescue plan and claim it for ourselves. Just as the lamb's bodies were broken so that death would pass over the people in Egypt, so Jesus' body, the one perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, was broken for us. In Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, Jesus gathers his disciples together for the Passover meal, but there is no lamb. Because he's the lamb. And just as the blood of the lambs in Egypt covered the people from the stain of sin and brought new life, so Jesus' blood poured out for us, cleanses us from our sins, and makes a doorway for us into eternal life. As the lamb's blood marked the doorways from which people would walk out of slavery into a new life of voluntary service, To the Lord, so the blood which soaked the cross becomes our doorway out of slavery to sin and death and into new life in Christ. How awesome is that? This is the core of our faith. This is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper every Sunday. We need this weekly reminder of what our God has done for us. The reminder that the blood of Jesus covers us and nothing can take that away. We don't have to live in fear, but we are strengthened to serve instead. This is where the rubber hits the road for us. The Hebrew slaves in Egypt had to step up and identify themselves as followers of the Lord Almighty. And then he took them on a mission. He took them on a journey. In the same way, we are called to publicly identify ourselves as blood-bought children of God. Now, this isn't just about ticking Christian on a census box, 
um, having a Bible verse on a plaque at home or um, wearing a cross around your neck. These things can be good reminders of our faith, but there's more to it than that. Living as passed over people is about living on mission. Firstly, it's about liturgy. The reason why we do what we do in church matters is because it affects who we are and who we become. Notice how the Passover meal is a family meal. Before the children of a family knew about God, they were practicing rituals which immersed them in the reality of God. During a Passover dinner, children would ask the head of the house questions and hear about the story about how the Lord saved them from slavery. Friends, our liturgy, what we do with our lives and with our spirits matters. Because every day we are being formed, whether we like it or not. We're being formed by forces trying to tug us away from God. Often in the morning, the first thing I reach for is my iPad. Confession time here, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and sometimes I, I, I open up my, my iPad and I go straight to Facebook. And there my heart is filled with bad news, envy and advertising. Other times, I wake up in the morning and I go to my prayer app. And I start my day in prayer. I was just speaking to someone before the service who was doing the same thing. She was reading her psalms as she does every morning. What a great liturgy. What a great practice. And thankfully, I'm beginning to pray more and Facebook less. And this liturgy has left me less anxious and more grateful to God each day. So friends, as you live as passed over people... Think about what liturgies, what rhythms, what habits you can add or take away from your life to help you connect with God. Next, living as a Passover person is about what you do with your meals, who you meet and who you eat with. The Passover and the Lord's Supper are both about meeting and eating with people in an attitude of prayer. Every Thursday morning, I get to meet for Bible study with a wonderful bunch of people. One of us is Roman Catholic. There are two Lutherans and two Anglicans. We share coffee together. We laugh. We cry. We read the Bible and we pray. And it's the highlight of my week. So many weeks. As slaves, the people of Israel were a divided bunch. As the body of Christ, the people of God, we need to take every opportunity to meet and eat together. Whether this is at Cameo, churches together, morning tea, Bible study, or just catching up for coffee with people from church. We need to make time to sit down with the people we love, share what God's doing in our lives, eat together and pray. It's no coincidence that God broke the people's bondage while they were having a dinner party. Meeting and eating together is worship and it changes our lives. And so as we read over the Passover account, one ultimate question is asked of us. 
Will you worship like Pharaoh, who loved himself so much that he sacrificed his firstborn son to hang on to power for himself? Or will you worship the God who loves the world so much that he gave his one and only son that anyone who calls on him would not perish but have eternal life? Living as passed over people is about living on mission. We worship God with our time, our talents and our treasures, walking from slavery to sin and into the freedom found in Christ. It's about living as if this world is not our eternal home, because it isn't. It's about living for God and relishing the fullness of life found in Him. Let's talk to Him now. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise You for Your Word. It is a lamp to our feet and our life, light to our paths. Help us to live as passed over people claiming the Lord's Supper as our Passover, remembering that you love us so much that you gave your one and only Son for us, and living into the purpose and meaning that is found in him. Amen.